Hi, Journey. How y'all doing today? Great to see all of you. Uh, let's do a little exercise, because that sort of exercise music, right? And uh, this is a really simple kind of exercise. It's a very big day today in the NFL, right? And uh, you all have a team who you're cheering on today. And so at least many of you do. So what I'm going to ask you to do is at the count of three, I just want you to sort of blurt out your NFL playoff pick for today. Ready? One. It'll feel really good. Two. Three. Ooh. Wow. Did I hear someone say Vikings? <sighs> we should talk later. I did not hear anybody say my Niners, though. Uh, woo, go Niners, you know. We got rid of this incredible coach named Jim and promoted another coach named Jim. And we got next year. Really good to be with all of you. We don't always start church like that, so, uh, you know. I want to talk today about why we pray, why we're seeking to build regular patterns of prayer more and more and more into our lives. And here's how I'd like to start, if you'll permit me. Would you just grab a piece of paper, a note card or a notes page, and I just want you to answer this question. Will you write down the answer to this question? Why do you pray? You're not going to hand this in to anybody. This is just for you. Why do you pray? When you pray, what's the purpose of your praying? Why do you pray? Jot a couple words down, and we're going to refer back to that in a little bit. And let's move on from there. Uh, just hold on to that information. I want to take a look at two verses of Scripture that talk to us about the richness of Jesus' prayer life. The richness of Jesus. You hear us a bit uh, at least talk about the up, in, and out triangle. The richness we're going to talk about of Jesus' up, vertical relationship with God, his Father. And let's look at Luke chapter 6, verse 12 first. One day, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. It was a pretty astounding little text. One day, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. And then let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, and this wasn't the next morning after he had prayed all night, just for the record, this is uh, not necessarily connected uh, to that narrative. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. So one day, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. And then before daybreak, another day, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. And then the Mark text sort of continues in that same vein, Mark 1.30. 6 and 37. Later, Simon, that's Simon Peter, and the others, the other disciples, went out to find him, to find Jesus. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Now, when some people say that little phrase, everyone is looking for you, they mean it in a hyperbole sort of sense, right? When many, many people say that phrase, everyone is looking for you, they're exaggerating, Right? They don't literally mean that 7 billion people on planet Earth are looking for you. That would be a significant stretch of the truth. They're exaggerating. But it is not hyperbole with Jesus. That was actually Jesus' reality. Everyone is looking for you. Because you see, the more that people learn that Jesus had these miraculous powers, power over nature, the bigger the crowds got. Everyone wanted an appointment with him. And literally, 
everyone wanted to see him. So much so that Simon Peter and some of the others, they chase Jesus down just to tell him, hey Jesus, just want you to know, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus' response to a time of everyone is looking for you, Jesus' response to a time of extreme busyness, a time of tremendous opportunity, a season of incredible popularity, a run of over-the-top productivity is very, very different from what most of us, me included, maybe me especially, do in those very same kinds of seasons, right? Most people I know of, me included, come into seasons of extreme busyness, times of tremendous opportunity, seasons of incredible popularity, everyone is looking for you kinds of days, runs of over-the-top productivity, challenges that we all face to get more and more and more done, opportunities to go and do so many of the things that we've always wanted to do. And for most of us in those kinds of seasons, the very first thing to go out the window is prayer, isn't it? The pressure and the pace and the intensity of everything else just squeezes prayer and squeezes solitude and squeezes silence right out the window. I'm just so busy. I don't have time for, I can't meet all the demands and so I'll just cut out the prayer thing and get on with it, right? That's what most people do most of the time. But it is not even close to that way with Jesus Christ. Quite the opposite, actually. For Jesus, the busier he is, the greater the pressure upon him is, the more he is in demand. Check this out. The more he prays. The more he prays. The greater the crowds, the greater his popularity, the greater the demands that are placed on him, the greater, more expansive his times of prayer are. And Jesus is living his life this way. It's just how he lives. It's the rhythm of his life. And while that's going on, the rhythm of his life, it's what he does, he's teaching us something at the very same time. And he's saying, hey, you, us, prayer is this really paramount thing. Prayer is this really, really paramount priority. It is of utmost importance. Nothing should ever squeeze prayer out. Don't do it. One day, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Now, Jesus, in this setting, he's about to make one of the most significant decisions of his entire ministry life. Do you know what it is at this point? He's choosing his Disciples, he's choosing his, say it with me, he's choosing his disciples, yeah, you got it. He's about to choose his disciples. And he's not administering personality profiles. He's not interviewing candidates. Instead, what's he do? One day, Jesus had such a huge decision to make. Who am I gonna pick? Who's it gonna be? And he goes up on a mountain to pray, and not just a little bit of prayer, he prayed to God all night. The only time, by the way, in the New Testament that it records an all-night prayer vigil. That's it, right there. This decision that Jesus was about to make was so vital of such import that he needed an entire night to pray it through, interact with God about it, hear from his Father around it, and he's saying, prayer is that important. It's paramount. It's bigger than anything. 
is the biggest deal you can imagine. And then in Mark 1.35, we're just going to go over and over and over these texts. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. Now that word isolated place where Jesus went to pray, it's the very same word that's used to describe the place where Jesus had gone previously to be tempted and tested by Satan. Remember this place? What's it called? Jesus went out to the where? Desert. He went out to the desert. Sometimes we use the word wilderness, sure, to be tempted. And desert, by the way, is how you describe any place around Capernaum, which is where Jesus was at that time. And Mark does something quite unique with that word, desert. He's actually using it in this context to describe the space where, check this out, the divine and the satanic vie for life. They're competing for life. The divine, God on one hand, and the satanic, the opposite of God, vying for life out in the desert. And what we know is that Jesus out in the desert, he claims victory over Satan out in the desolate place, out in the desert, which means that that space then became a place where he could seek solitude and prayer. He would receive in that place divine replenishment from his heavenly father. He'd go out there and he'd just meet with God. And Jesus didn't just wake up early before the sun was up. And he didn't just go off and find a little cubby in the house. He didn't just find the nicest, most comfortable room with the best view and begin to have prayer there. Uh-uh. Instead, he actually intentionally left all the places where anyone else was going to be. No one goes out to the desert before daybreak. No one does that. Jesus knows there's not going to be anybody out here bothering me, interrupting me, meddling with me. I'm going out here. He goes intentionally where no one else was. And he just pours his heart out to God. I need you, God. And Jesus, bless his heart, as much as he tries to hide out from everyone, so that he can engage in this paramount priority of prayer. Once again, check this out, the desert is again gonna become a place of temptation for him. Poor guy, can't escape it. He goes to such incredible lengths to get all by himself. He wakes up before daybreak while it's still dark. He leaves the community. He goes way out and he starts praying and he's hearing from his father. He's interacting with God about everything that's happening and everything he's doing and everything he's going to do. By the way, I don't have any doubt that Jesus would have been interacting with God about the cross in these times of prayer. And from the time Jesus got up and went out there until the disciples woke themselves up and realized that Jesus wasn't in the house anymore, and then later, Simon and the others, a long time later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you, and that little phrase there, went out to find him, that's translated from the Greek words that mean to hunt him down. To hunt him down. This wasn't just a few of them walking around the outside of the house for a few minutes trying to find where Jesus might be. The way the languages there suggest that they've engaged in what could be called an urgent manhunt for Jesus. 
This is an APB, and it's very serious. We must find him, and I'm digging into this the way I'm digging into this, to point out that this, check this out, this kind of operation, this kind of manhunt would have taken hours to put together, hours to carry out, and all the while, what's Jesus doing? He's just praying. Not just praying, he's praying. He's out in the desert, and he's praying for hours, several hours. All these people are combed out looking for Jesus, combing the desert hills. Where might he be? What rock might he be sitting behind? And he's trying to hide from them. He's trying to leave them back there. Just just leave me alone. I'm just going out here, minding my own business, me and God. You stay home, guys. And they find him, and he's like, oh. And they run up to him, finally, where have you been? What have you been doing all this time? We've been worried sick about all all these lines. You should tell us where you're going next time. Jeez, I'm so glad we found you. Can't lose the son of God. And Jesus is shrugging his shoulders. He's going like, uh, do you need something, guys? Is something that important? Well, Jesus, we've broken into your interrupt your prayer time to let you know everyone is looking for you. Jesus is like, I I know. I know. I know that. That's why I'm out here, because everyone's looking for me. And here's what we got. We got the desert temptation all over again. Do you see it? It's the desert temptation all over again. The only difference is this time, it's the disciples bringing the temptation instead of Satan. The disciples bring the temptation. Jesus is praying of paramount importance, prayer is. And then here come the disciples. Everyone's looking for you, Jesus. Are you going to stay praying? Or are you going to go hang out with everyone who's looking for you? And Jesus has a choice to make. Which is it? The crushing demands of the crowd? Or Jesus' need to commune with his Father. Our need to commune with our Father. Is it what everyone else says they need from us? Or is it, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got so much of this going on over here that I I just got to get with God. And here's what we know. Jesus is the Son of God, right? We know that. What we also know is that none of us are the son of God, or daughter of God, for that matter. We're not. Jesus is perfect and holy and righteous without flaw or fault, and we're not so much. We're flawed, weak, errant people. Me, especially, my hand is way up. Flawed, weak, errant person, that's me, us, especially me. So if Jesus is who he is and we're who we are and if he thinks that he needs more time with God in prayer, the busier that he gets, the more the pressure gets turned up, the more that everyone is looking for him, then how much more do we need more time with God like this up? Just me and God. Everything else turned off. I'm away from everything. I'm unplugged from everything. How much more do we need that 
Let me say it like this. When we come into times of extreme busyness, times of tremendous opportunity, seasons of incredible popularity, seasons where everyone is looking for you, runs of over-the-top productivity, challenges to get more and more and more done, opportunities to go and do so many of the things that we've always wanted to do. Let me ask you this question. What is it that we're accomplishing in the midst of all of that busyness and all of that activity? What's actually going to become of all of our doing if we go do that stuff? Well, there's answers, right? For some people, maybe in those kinds of seasons, they make a whole bunch more money. Cool. That's great. Maybe for other people in some of those seasons, a whole bunch more people are helped. That's really cool too. But then ask this question, what's going to come of Jesus' activity? If he gives in to the second desert temptation and he leaves his prayer time and he hears the disciples saying, everyone is looking for you, and he jumps up and he runs off with them, what's going to come of his busyness and his activity? The answer is really quite simple. They're going to change the world. His opportunities, the opportunities that Jesus has are actually going to change the world. The things that were pressing on Jesus over here, everyone is looking for you, are literally going to change the course of human history. And in the face of that, what's Jesus say? Prayer matters more. You understand that? Prayer matters more. Even in the face of the opportunities to change the course of human history, prayer is still way too important to get squeezed out by anything, and he means anything else. He thinks it's that big a deal. He thinks it's that important. He actually increases his prayer time when the demands on him dial up. And I heard a pastor ask the question like this in light of Jesus' pattern and rhythm of prayer and solitude. And so, so don't get mad at me. Get mad at this other pastor when I ask it the way I ask it. So where do we get off living the way we live? If Jesus thinks prayer is that big of a priority, he thinks it's that important, important enough to increase his prayer time when the demands on his time increase, where do we then get off living the way that we live where everything else squeezes prayer out? Prayer's that paramount. And Jesus says prayer comes first and prayer comes last and prayer comes everywhere in between. Nothing else is more important, not even changing the course of human history. Nothing else squeezes it out. Because, well, what is prayer anyway? What is prayer anyway? And when we look at these verses, we see things. One day, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. He prayed to God all night. And from Mark, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. And we notice that there's things missing. There's things not there. We don't see the content of Jesus' prayers. We're not given any of the what of Jesus' prayer times, at least there. But when you take a step back from those two texts and you survey a wider swath of Scripture, we're actually given quite a lot of information about the content of Jesus' prayer. Mark chapter 14 They, Jesus and some of his disciples, they went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. 
He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He then went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful, uh, awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out. The first words out of Jesus' mouth when he prays are what? Abba, Father. You know what that means? Daddy. Papa. And I know that doesn't sound very manly, does it? Thinking about God in daddy, papa terms offends some of our, especially male sensitivities, because it's so intimate, shockingly intimate. But you see, it's the very first thing that Jesus says. It's the first thing out of his mouth when he prays. Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. He's telling us something. Another day, Jesus' disciples asked him, how are we supposed to pray? What's Jesus' response? He responds with this thing that we've now come to call what? The Lord's Prayer. That's exactly right. They didn't call it that then. That's what we call it. And how's the Lord's Prayer start? Luke chapter 11, verse 2. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, Abba, Daddy, Papa. And why in the world does Jesus start there? What's he teaching us? What's he telling us? What's he showing us? He's revealing to us that prayer is this acknowledgement that God is our Father and that we want and need more of him right here. Right here. That's what he's showing us. That's what he's teaching us. Go back to that thing that I asked you to write down a few minutes ago, the answer to the question, why do you pray? We just refer back to it. This is actually the answer right here. Nothing against anything you wrote down. But this is actually why we pray. Because prayer is this acknowledgement that God is our Father and that we want more of Him. We need desperately more of Him right here, right now, right here. That's why we pray. Because we need Him. Even Jesus, who was the one and only Son of God, needed more of him right here, right now. And according to Jesus, prayer isn't just, God, please give us this day our daily stuff. That's part of what it is to pray, but it isn't even what comes first. Jesus also teaches us that prayer isn't, God, please forgive us for everything bad I've ever done in my life. That's part of prayer, but it doesn't come first. What comes first is Abba. Father, Daddy, Papa. Which is this incredibly bold confession that God himself, the one who made heaven, the one who made earth, the one who holds everything in his hands, the one who is the beginning and the one who is the end, has through Jesus Christ become your Father, your Papa, your Daddy. And you're confessing to him in prayer, I need more of you right here. I want more of you more and more and more right here, 
right now because life is so hard and life is so busy and life is so complicated and life is so disorienting and our vertical up relationship with God grounds us and centers us and orients us to our Father. And it reminds us that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God and that we delight him. We delight him. And if that's the case, what else really matters? We delight him and he delights us. And so prayer isn't even close to being about just getting stuff from God. Not even close. We pray actually to get God more and more and more God right here. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would. And I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. God, on behalf of every single one of us, especially me, I'm so sorry for making prayer something that you, Jesus, didn't mean it to be. Forgive me for making prayer about getting stuff Forgive me for making prayer about my agenda. And Jesus, we're asking you to break in and challenge us to make prayer what it is at its very core, which is more and more and more of you. We pray to get you, more of you right here. core of our being because we want you to do something in us we need you to do something in us we want to delight simply in spending time with you as you delight simply in us spending time with you Catch us up, please, God, in what it means to pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray. That we would get you. That we would get more and more and more of you.